Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Welcome to New Life. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. For those of you who are new, welcome you. Well, we want to welcome you in the name of Jesus. And uh, here at New Life, our mission is to share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, one person at a time. At this time, let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. We thank you that you have come to us personally in the man Jesus Christ, your son. And we ask today that as we consider what it means for him to touch our lives, that you will open our spirits, that we might receive the touch from your spirit, that we might need today to grow in our faith or to take that first step of faith, whichever it may be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, probably most of us, if not all of us in the room, have a story that our parents or somebody in our family has told to us that happened when we were so young, we don't remember it happening ourselves. And I have a story like that. When I was about two years old, uh, probably two because it was when I got my first spanking, um, I had apparently gotten on my mother's last nerve. And so she spanked me. And a little while later, my brother Jim came home from school, and, uh, and Jim came in, and I said, Mommy spanked me. And he said, Young man, your mother bends over backward to be good to you. If, he, if she spanked you, you deserved it. So then my dad came in, and I tried to say, Daddy, Mommy spanked me. And, and he said something similar to what my brother Jim said. But then my brother Tom came in. My brother Tom came in, and I said, Tom, Mommy spanked me. And he picked me up, and he hugged me, and he goes, That mean old Mommy, you didn't deserve it. Now, guess who told me that story when I got older? Guess who's still my favorite brother? <laughs> Tom. Because Tom was there when I needed him at a very early age. In fact, just a couple years ago, probably on Christmas, I called my brother Tom, I called my youngest brother Ken, and afterwards my daughter Emmy had been listening, you know, and she said, Daddy, why is it when you talk to Uncle Tom, when you say goodbye, you always say, I love you. But when you say goodbye to Uncle Kenny, you never say, I love you. And the reason is because my brother Tom, next to my mom, my brother Tom is my closest family member because he always showed love to me. He touched me in powerful ways from the time I was two years old and right on up. I spent my summers with him when I was growing up. And uh, he touched me through his head when he gave me words of encouragement. He touched me through his heart whenever he showed me his love. And uh, in fact, last night, I called my brother Tom after church, and I said, guess who my sermon was about tonight? He said, Ben Roethlisberger? I said, no, it was about you. He goes, well, I thought it was probably about me, but I didn't want to seem arrogant. And uh, Tom's 14 years older than me, so he's always seemed sort of like a dad as well as an older brother to me, you know. And, uh, and, and then my sister-in-law, she's always on the line, too, you know, and she said, must have been a short service. And I said, it actually was the shortest service we've had in the last 10 years. I said, not because I was talking about you, though, Tom. I said, you've made such an impact in my life. And uh, I'm so thankful for you. You know, and uh, so anyway, the reason I tell you that is because today we're going to be talking about touch. And uh, we've been in this series called The Generosity Factor, last day for it. And every week, we've been getting ready for this week for four weeks. Because four weeks ago, I said, you know, we're going to talk about time and talents and treasure and touch. And then Pastor Brad, when he talked about talents, I talked about time. And then talents, he said, you know, when we talk about touch, it could be a little weird. It won't be weird, you know. And then last week, I said, we're going to talk about touch next week. Well, this is the week. And, And the reason that could be touch 
could be weird is because of what our culture has done with touch. Now, let me say what God did with touch whenever he created the universe, and then he created this planet, and then he put us on it. It's after he created the first two people. It says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. It actually says united in one flesh. The two come together physically. Now, God's intention when he created Adam and Eve, and there weren't even any parents yet, but he said the intention is there's going to be families all over the planet, and those families are going to have kids that are going to grow up, and the man's going to leave his father and mother, and the woman's going to leave her father and mother. They're going to come together. They're going to start a new family with God in the center, and they're going to love God, and they're going to love each other, and then they're going to have children out of that relationship, and those children are going to know the love of God and the love of their parents, and that's the intention that God had for us at the very beginning. Now, here's the thing. That isn't the way it is anymore. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world. That is breaking God's will and God's purpose. And so here we are in the 21st century, and we have some extremes when it comes to touch because you realize, in, of course, in the original plan of God, sexuality played a very important part. Obviously, you can't have children without sexuality playing an important part, but that was supposed to be between a man and a woman in marriage. But nowadays, there are two extremes when it comes to touch in our culture. On the one extreme, a man and woman could go to a bar, let's say, and five minutes after they meet each other, they could be having a sexual relationship. And that's considered okay. Or it could be two men or it could be two women. Now, at the other extreme, we have decided that we can't touch children at all. You know, if the child isn't yours, you can't touch that child. You shouldn't be near that child. So we have this extreme where touch is really good, touch is really bad. Touch was designed by God. It was designed by God in the fabric of creation. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to turn to Jesus, not just his words, but his actions, which show us how important touch can be, how life-giving touch can be. In fact, touch is a way of expressing love. It's a way of expressing truth. And today's take-home point Um, Which, for those of you who are new, the the take-home point is the one point that we seek to make every week so that we can go home and reflect on it and then live it out in the week ahead. It's simply this. It is Jesus' nature to touch us on the inside and on the outside when he shows us his love. So let's turn to uh, Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at four passages from the Gospel of Mark today where Jesus touched somebody in a very powerful way. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to it or your Bible app, Mark chapter 1, verse 40, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen, says this, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Now, what we need to know about this man is he's a Jew and he lived in a Jewish culture in the first century. And according to the law of Moses, if you were a leper, you were unclean. Not only were you physically miserable, and probably disfigured, but also you were not allowed to be with your family, you weren't allowed to be with your community, you weren't allowed to be within 50 yards of another human being unless that person was also a leper, also unclean. If, if, if some normal person came along, you had to shout, unclean, unclean. So we know how desperate this man is. He came and knelt in front of Jesus. He broke the law of Moses just to be in proximity of Jesus. And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So what would Jesus do? And what it says is, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Now, notice it says, Jesus reached out and touched the man. Jesus didn't have to touch the man. I mean, we know there are other accounts in the Gospels where Jesus touched people he wasn't even in the same room with. Jesus healed people who were far away. 
But in this case, Jesus touched the man. And according to the law of Moses, when Jesus touched a leper, he became unclean himself. He identified with this leper to the point that he was willing to walk into the uncleanness of this man in order to touch the inside of the man. He, he was going to heal the man. And that, that's a given when Jesus is around. You know, the person's going to get physical healing. But he wanted this man to know his value. He wanted this man to understand that he's not a leper first and then something second. He's a man. He's a person. And, and, and that's how we can be generous with our touch. When we reach out to the untouchable people in our culture and we show the love of Jesus by touching that person, that is a way that we are generous with our touch. But of course, Jesus also healed the man physically. So the man got up and now Jesus gave him a stern warning. That's what the next verse says. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. And that warning was not to tell anybody what had happened, but show the priest, which was required by the law of Moses, that he had been healed. And the priest would have said that. And then the man could go home with his family. But Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Why? Why would Jesus say, don't tell anybody? We don't know. It's possible that Jesus just didn't want to have all the lepers in the area come around and keep him from doing his business because he only had three years to do everything he had to do. It's possible that he didn't want other people to know that he was unclean because he touched a leper. We don't know why, but what we do know is this. The guy didn't listen. The guy told everybody what Jesus had done. And what we're told then later on in the text is Jesus couldn't go anywhere without a crowd gathering and people wanted to be healed and people wanted to be touched by Jesus. You see, here's the thing. If we are generous with our time, with our talents, with our treasure and our touch, people are going to flock to us too because this is not a generous culture. This is a culture that's very reserved when it comes to those kind of things. And we all know of people who, you know, when somebody wins the lottery, what's the first thing that happens? They get a lot of relatives they didn't know they had, right? Because everybody wants a piece of that. And we might think that the most important touch that we can give is somebody is to touch them with our money. But how about that leper? I bet you he didn't care about money. Jesus could have given him all the money in the world, but the touch that was really important was the actual physical touch that brought healing. And sometimes there's nothing more important than the actual touch. So then the next thing we, we're going to read about is in Mark chapter 5. Jesus, of course, he has a crowd around him as he always does, and he's walking actually to the home of a very important guy. And this very important guy's daughter is dying. And Jesus has been asked by the very important guy to come and heal the daughter. And they're walking along, and here's what happens. Verse 25, if you're following along. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. This woman was also unclean. In the culture of the Jews, if you had a bleeding disorder, you were unclean. You couldn't be around anybody. So for 12 years, this woman had not been touched by another human being. This woman had spent all of her money. Oh, actually, she had been touched by some human beings, by doctors. She'd been humiliated in that culture by going to the doctors, and they hadn't done anything for her. In fact, she'd spent all of her money, had nothing left, and she was still just the same way. But this is what she thought. She said she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. So this woman had a plan, and the plan involved breaking the law of Moses also because she went into the crowd. She wasn't allowed to be within 50 yards of people. She went into the crowd, and she actually touched Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't touch her. She, touched, she didn't even touch Jesus. She just touched his robe. 
And when she touched the robe, what she believed was going to happen, happened. She could feel it. She was well. She was whole. Her bleeding stopped. She was the person that she had always been, but now the bleeding was gone, so she could actually be a person again. And this is what it says next. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my robe? The woman hadn't anticipated this. The woman hadn't anticipated that Jesus would be able to tell that someone had touched him. And notice Jesus doesn't say, who took power from me? Jesus doesn't say, who got healed by me? Jesus said, who touched my robe? Because that's the significant point, the touch. Now, there are hundreds of people around, and the disciples said that. They say, his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? The disciples were practical guys, right? They said, look, really, Jesus? <laughs> There's a thousand people in this crowd. There's a hundred people that probably touched you in the last five minutes. You want us to take a list of names and start asking them, interrogate them, who touched Jesus? Jesus wouldn't give up. It says he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. So the woman knew the jig was up. He was going to show everybody that she was unclean. She was going to get punished. That's what she thought. And she told Jesus everything. I mean, to her credit, she came and she fell in front of Jesus and she said, look, Jesus, this is what was going on. And how do we know she told him everything? Because how did the story start? A woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, a woman who had gone to all these doctors. She told all the details and Mark wrote them down for us. But she told all these details to Jesus and here's what Jesus does. And he said to her, daughter daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, if you study all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find out that there's only one time when Jesus uses the word daughter in referring to anyone. It's this woman. This woman who doesn't even have a name in, in the story, he says, daughter. What does that mean? I know what it means. I have two daughters. And when you call somebody a daughter, it means you love them more than just about anything. It means that they're part of your family, right? And so what Jesus is saying, you're not, oh, you're not unclean. You're, you're not a part of the outcasts. You're, you're a daughter. And they would immediately think daughter of Abraham, part of the family of God. And, and, and not only did he say daughter, but he said your faith. Not, I didn't do anything. Actually, he didn't do anything, did he? They, she touched him. Your faith has made you well. What an amazing thing. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is touching this woman, right? Not with hands, with words. And sometimes we touch people with our words. And, and, and he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And, and, and your suffering's over. All of those are words of encouragement. The word encourage literally means to take my courage and put it into you or to take your courage and put it into me. I don't know if you realize this, but every weekend when you come to worship, number one, that's an encouragement that you showed up. To me, it is. Number two, it's an encouragement if you don't fall asleep when I'm preaching. Number three, it's an encouragement if you, like, you smile when I say something that I think is funny. Because it always isn't funny when I think it's funny, right? Okay, that encouragement, you give me courage, and hopefully I give you courage. But, you know, encouragement is so necessary in our lives because, in this case, I'm doing public speaking. Do you realize the number one fear of Americans is public speaking? The second number, most important fear is dying. So the next time you go to a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than giving the funeral. Probably not, right? Okay, but see the point? The point is your encouragement helps me, and hopefully my encouragement helps you. But Jesus gave this woman a tremendous gift. 
in calling her daughter. I imagine for the rest of her life, she remembered that instant. Not just because she was no longer sick, but because Jesus said daughter. Okay, let's look at the next one. This is in Mark chapter 8. And I love this one because in Mark chapter 8, we start out finding out that the people who touched this person, it wasn't Jesus. It says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. When they arrived, and they as Jesus and the disciples arrived at Bethsaida, some people, this is the key, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. So what happened here is some friends of this blind man heard that Jesus was around and so they touched their friend in two ways. Number one, they literally grabbed him and brought him in the presence of Jesus because they wanted him to not be blind anymore and he couldn't see where Jesus was, so they grabbed him and brought him. So they physically touched him in a good way, right, in an appropriate way. And so the thing is, they got him there because they cared about him. They touched his heart. They touched him on the inside because they cared enough to bring him to Jesus. And then this is what happens next. It says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Okay, get the picture. Jesus takes this guy outside the village and he spits in the guy's eyes. Gross, huh? Well, not really. In that culture, it wasn't gross at all because they thought that spit had healing properties. And so do you. At least I think you do because I know what happens when I cut my finger with a paper cut or I smash it with a hammer. What's the first thing I do? Right? Spit on it. Right? Don't tell me you never did that. Okay. So anyway... Then Jesus places his hands on top of the guy, and he prays for him, whatever he does, and then he says, can you see? And the guy goes, well, yeah, I can see, but it seems like people look like trees. So we, the guy must have used to been able to see, but now he can see a little bit. And if you're a blind guy, and you couldn't see at all, and you can see people, but they look like trees, that's probably pretty good, right? But not for Jesus. Look what Jesus does next. After that, Jesus says, it just says, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. He could see everything clearly. Isn't that cool? Jesus touched him a second time, a second touch, a clearer vision. It wasn't enough even for Jesus to touch this guy one time. And the thing we need to know, if we're going to be generous with our touch, there are times and we can't just touch a person one time and think that's going to be it. You know, there are people who are so broken that they've been touched in the wrong way or they have something so deep inside that if we touch them one time and we think that's generous, it's not going to work. Or second time or third time or fifth time or tenth time. We're just going to have to keep touching them with the love of Jesus. We're going to have to keep touching them in, in appropriate ways if they've been touched in inappropriate ways so that they'll understand what the difference is. And you see, the key is for us, when we touch people with our heads and with our hearts and with our hands, to do it appropriately so that they can experience that second touch or third or whatever and experience the love and the life of Jesus Christ. Be touched on the inside and the outside with his love. Okay, the final one comes to us from Mark chapter 10. And this is in verse 13. And it says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. So these parents heard Jesus was around. They brought their little babies, their little toddlers, and they came and they said, Jesus, we just want you to touch our babies and, and, and bless them. Hold them, pick them up, and, you know, pray for them. It seems like a good idea. If I, I mean, if I lived in Jesus' time, I would have wanted to take my babies over to get them touched by Jesus, right? But look what it says. It says, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. You see, the disciples were like Jesus' secretary, and they're like, Jesus, we've got a heavy schedule here today. We can't be 
hugging babies and kissing them and laying our hands on them and praying for them. We don't have time for such garbage. And look what Jesus says. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Jesus never missed a teachable moment. This was a teachable moment. The disciples thought the schedule was more important than the people. And so what Jesus said is, look around. See these children? That child, that's the kingdom of God. What are children like? Well, first of all, children are loving. They're trusting. They're joyful. They're, they're fun-loving. Now you say, well, you don't know my children. Of course, our children aren't always like that. Our children are also throw tantrums and they hit each other and they steal stuff. You know, they lie. That's childish. Childish is not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about childlike. The kingdom of God is like a child who loves and trusts and who knows that, that their parent is going to be there for them. And all of those things that children do in that nature that God has given all of us until it gets all distorted and messed up. And, and so Jesus is saying to the disciples, I have plenty of time. I have plenty of time for this task. And it says there, then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. And so we have these children who are now, and we don't know how many children. Could have been 10, could have been 100, could have been 1,000. We really don't know. But Jesus takes each one in turn, and he holds them, and he puts his hand on their head, and he blesses them. Over the last several weeks, I've had the joyous opportunity of having six of the children of our staff members in my home, or I was at their home. And the first example was, uh, happened when I was actually at Grandma and Pappy Liker's for Tiger and Bear Liker. And we were there to watch the Steelers beat the Broncos and something went wrong in the fourth quarter. So, But anyway, meanwhile, we're sitting, I'm sitting on the couch and Tiger and Bear come over and one sits in one side of my lap and the other sits on my other side of my lap and we're sitting there and the game wasn't all that fun for them. And so finally they said, tickle me, Pastor Chris, tickle me. So I start tickling them and they start laughing and we start having so much fun. And man, I'll tell you what, I was touching them all over the place. Tickle, 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 tickle in the ribs, you know, and they're all having fun. And then throw me up in the air. So I throw them up in the air and throw, we're having fun. And they touched me probably way more than I touched them in my heart. Because it's been a long time since I had the chance to touch a little kid and tickle them and pick them up in the air, you know, appropriate, appropriate, appropriate touching. Well, then the Frenches came over for dinner, and they have three little kids, and the youngest one's name is Frey, and after dinner, Frey got up. Man, he was a superhero, and he started going, bzz, bzz. well, it's no fun to go, bzz, bzz, if you don't have a villain, right? So who guess who's got to be the villain? I was the villain. So I'm the villain, and Frey, bzz. I don't know what that does, but it killed me. Okay, so I, I laid over on the ground, and I'm dead, and I didn't realize in this day and age that when superheroes kill their villains, they, they do a WWF body slam on top of you. Okay. So Frey, thank God he only weighs 12 pounds, right? So anyway, he, he body slams me. And guess what the next word out of his mouth is? Again. So I got to wrestle and body slam whatever the superhero Frey is, you know. And, and before that night, I'll be honest with you, I've known Frey since the day he was born. But Frey and I had this kind of relationship. Sam would always say, tell Pastor Chris hi. And Frey would go, hi, Pastor Chris. But now we're buddies. We're buddies, you know, I mean, he can jump on my belly any day he wants to, right? As long as he kills me first. <laughs> you see, there is such a thing as appropriate touch and there's such a thing as inappropriate touch. And here's the thing, in every culture, we know that. 
In every culture. I'm going to Cuba in a couple weeks. I need a volunteer who's a guy. Carl will be good enough. Come on, Carl. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I know Carl doesn't like to be touched that much, but he takes a hug every now and then. Okay, so if he's a Cuban and I'm a Cuban, all right, I walk up to him. and A Christian Cuban, let me qualify, because I haven't really met that many non-Christian Cubans. But if he's a Christian Cuban and I meet him for the very first time, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stick out my hand. He's going to stick out his hand. We're going to shake hands. Does that look familiar? Well, yeah, we do it in America, right? All right, then the next thing we're going to do, if we're Christians, well, we'll say who we are. Me amo Cristo. Christ, no, I'm not Cristo. Me amo Cristo. Cristo is Christ. No, I always say that. No, I always say to the Mexican or Cubans, whatever, he speaks Spanish. I say this, yo soy Cristo, no soy Cristo. I'm Chris. I'm not Christ. And they laugh, and then, you know, I like to make people laugh in their own language. So anyway, here we are. We're in an awkward moment where I'm holding his hand for too long if I'm an American, right? So then I go like this. Boom, boom, boom. Same thing in America, right? If you're really, if you know, go, you can sit down. Okay, so if you're friendly, you know, Americans or friendly Cubans, that's what you do. All right, so now I'm going to say if I'm a man and I'm a woman in that culture, all right, and they're Christian, and Pastor Jane's going to be my volunteer. She is for the fourth time now here. Okay, Pastor Jane, she knows what to do now. See, we walk up and like this. See how far away we are? This is appropriate, okay? And then we go like this. All right. And if you go to church with the Cubans, and it's mostly women, it really is mostly women, by the time you're done, you're deaf because of that air kiss. Okay, but that's the way it is. So that's appropriate in their culture. That's what it works. That's how it works. So in every culture, we have decided what's appropriate. And within culture, there's variance. Even within families, there's variance. My brother Tom, I mentioned earlier, my brother Tom is the teddy bear, man. He's a big teddy bear. He weighs about 300 pounds. And whenever I go out to his house or he comes to my house, usually I have to go out to his house. I go out to his house and he comes out in a driveway, you know, and he goes, whoo, and he bear hugs me and he picks me up off the ground. And that's not easy to do. I weigh, I mean, now I only weigh 200, but I weighed 225 at one point. And anyway, he hugs me and he picks me up and he tries to break my ribs in a gentle kind of way. Because he's that kind of guy, and he tells me he loves me, and last night when I talked to him at the end of the conversation, I love you, brother. I said, I love you too, brother. And then, you know, then there's my brother Ken. My brother Ken, whenever I meet my brother Ken and I go to hug him, here's my brother Ken. Okay? He's a little stiff, especially compared to my brother Tom. And when I say he's a little stiff, it's sort of like saying it's a little darker at night than it is in the daytime. Okay, so... So I have my brother Tom, and I have my brother Ken, and then there's me in the middle, and I really am in the middle. I'm not, I'm not like Ken, but I'm really not like Tom. But here's the thing. I know what's appropriate, and I know what's inappropriate when it comes to touch. And after worship, every week after worship, I go outside, unless it's really nasty, but it's awful, awfully beautiful today, right? Awesomely beautiful. Huh, it means the same thing, awful and awesome. Okay, so anyway, I go out there, and some of you come out, and, you know, and I give you a hug. And some of you come out, and I give you a handshake. And some of you come out, and I give you a fist bump. Some of you come out, and I give you a high five. And some of you come out, and I go, right? Because I know. And if I don't know you, if I don't know you at all, sometimes I'll put my hand out, and somebody will go, oh, I'm a hugger. Okay, so it's like my brother Tom. So I give you a hug back, right? It's appropriate. The thing is, we all know what's appropriate. And if we give appropriate touch, if we give appropriate touch with our heads by encouraging a person that needs encouraged, challenging a person that needs to be challenged, if we give appropriate touch by laying hands on and praying for somebody that needs prayer, what happens is miracles. You see, it's not just Jesus who can touch people and do miracles. We can too. We represent Jesus to the world. And so here's today's commitment. And the commitment is very simple. I will be a wise manager of the gift of touch this week. We need to be a wise manager of the gift of touch in our lives because we can hurt people with touch, but we can help people with touch. And if we commit, excuse me, if we commit to helping people with our touch, 
they will experience life, maybe like they've never experienced it before. They will experience love, maybe like they've never experienced it before. Let's remember, what did Jesus do? He touched the leper who was untouchable. So who's the untouchable person in our culture or in our sphere of influence? What did he do for the woman? He didn't really do anything except affirm her. He said, what you did was a good thing, daughter. And now for the rest of your life, you'll be able to remember my healing touch in your life or your touch of me in my life. And then what about the blind guy? The blind guy will remember those friends, I bet you forever, right? The one who brought them, brought him to Jesus and then he'll remember Jesus too. And it took even Jesus two touches. So we have to remember those friends that need two, three, five, ten more. And then the children. You know, it saddens me greatly that we live in a culture that has so messed up touch. You know, that people think of touch only in this sexual way. And they think that you can't touch children. And I've been told, I mean, I mean we're all told as staff people, don't touch any kids. You know. And so what do I do last weekend when this little girl comes up, her Grammy died, or no, grandfather died, and I had been at the funeral that morning, and she came into church that night, and she came up, and she just wrapped her arms around my legs and wanted a hug. So I just put my hands on her back, and I just hugged her. You see, if we don't touch each other in, the proper, in, in appropriate ways, we die. It's a proven fact. There have been studies done in orphanages, you know, where they put children in beds, and they just fed them and took care of their needs, but they never touched them. And the children died, literally died. And so the culture says, hands off, and there are times when that's appropriate. But there are also times when it isn't. So the Generosity Factor series is over. We've talked about how to be wise and generous with our time and with our talents and with our treasure and with our touch. And what I, what I, pray, what I pray is that the Generosity Factor is just beginning here at New Life. I pray that we will use our time to generously express the love of God to other people. I pray that we'll use our talents for that purpose and our, and our treasure for that purpose and our touch for that purpose. Because as we do, the world out there that is often cold, dark, and very confused will experience the life that is truly life. And that's why we're here to share that life that's truly life that we've experienced first with one another and with others who don't know it. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your many blessings. Most of all, your son Jesus. Today, we thank you that he showed us how important it is for us to touch one another in ways that are appropriate, in ways that build up, in ways that encourage, in ways that bring life. And I pray that as we go out today, we will do that starting in our own families, starting with our friends and our, the people we go to school and work with, God, and then strangers, so that people everywhere will know that you are a God who touches us from the inside out and the outside in with your life and your love. To your glory and praise, in Jesus' name, amen.